One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the 139th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode was brought to you by patrons Christopher Hall and Lucas Miller. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got Mark Stoloroff. He's a prolific indie producer. He's done a ton of movies, but he specializes specifically in micro-budget filmmaking. He's got his own program called No Budget Film School, and he's distilled a ton of the tips and tricks and uh, a lifetime of experience making micro-budget films from kind of the very beginning before even mumblecore was a word he was making those movies and he's uh parlaying a ton of that experience into his latest movie driver x which premieres november 29th so probably just in time for you to check it out if you are curious about making a no budget movie mark is the man yeah and this is the guy that made a three thousand dollar film that got into sundance So uh, he knows a thing or two about not just making cheap movies, but making movies that are effective in terms of getting into festivals, getting seen, getting known. There's a lot of really good tidbits about how he made Driver X and how I think our listeners can apply that to their own projects. So uh, I can't wait to hop into our conversation with Mark. We are going to forego our catch up this week because we had so many awesome things that we don't want to cut out. So we're going to find out what Oren's been working on next week. (laughs) Um, But before we hop into our conversation with Mark, we have to talk about our Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash just shoot it pod, you can subscribe a little bit of cash. Uh, It helps the show grow. It helps support things like our upcoming live event, December 5th at Sawhorse Productions. They'll be providing some pizza and stuff, but we'll still have to rent a bunch of chairs and other dumb stuff uh we want to keep the show free and also the events free so if you have a little extra scratch if you're doing well if the show has helped you out or if you want to do the virtual equivalent to buying us a coffee to help uh, us pay our editors help us build the community and help us throw more live events go to patreon.com slash just shoot it pod and if people want to find out more about our live event on december 5th what should they do they should go to just shoot it pod.com slash live well without further ado let's talk to mark stolero thanks for coming thanks for having me really happy to be here congrats on finishing another feature thank you what number is this i don't know it's the fifth i've done with henry burial but i i don't it's. It, I don't know how many, and I don't know. How, I don't know how you count them at this point. Like, I mean, I've been a, a producer on a lot of them, and I don't. I don't know the number. I mean, starting back in the nineties. So, but uh, you're like a producer filmmaker. The ones I do with Henry are like very. It's like me 
and Henry and you bring a few people on here and there and then it's mostly just me. But you're like in the editing the room, end, you're cutting, you're making Well, I'm not cutting, calls. but you know, but I mean, once, you know, there like for instance on Driver X, there was no production department really. I mean, it was me. It was there was like we had a first AD for like 4 or 5 days and when we were doing a lot of the driving stuff, there was I was the whole production department. I was media manager, I was second AD and doing call sheets and I was like you know, literally like your hauling the gear the very little bit of gear we had yes yeah. was in my apartment yeah no it's it's one of those you know i the, i like that kind of filmmaking where you know you're doing a lot of different jobs and you know that kind right. of thing so yeah for that i've done five five i guess and for, yeah for our listeners four or five hearing you say we have very little gear and like you know it's a two-man crew for 90 percent of the time it sounds like maybe this is like a new thing you're doing, but you've been making feature films for like 20 years, right? I've been in the business for over 20 years, 25 years or something, but, um, but it's, it's not always the same. So, you know, I, I did, when I came out here in 94, I was, I came out to Los Angeles from Texas. I worked at Roger Corman's company and did, you know, worked on these, you know, what are they were a million, million half dollar films in the production department, PA. I became a, a location manager the first week on the job, they like bumped me up to the location manager. I'd never, you know, I mean, I'd been, I'd been on a film before, but not, you know, had no idea. It was a pretty big location, kind of a movie for two weeks of it. And, uh, so it's that kind of, that's that trial by fire Corman stuff you do. And then, um, and I worked my way up, you know, become like first AD and I, I production managed a, a short film that won the Academy Award for best short back then. And, oh, and, nice. um, but I, what but short I, was that? Actually? it was called my mother dreams, the Satan's disciples in New York, the worst, title <laughs> for a movie ever but I'm it not was. sure where the punctuation lands on that one but. yeah it's it was brutal I mean you can imagine like you calling people on the phone yeah I'm with the film my mother dreams of things as I'm on anyway but um but yeah it was a great film it just a uh, long title um and um so I was doing that kind of work then and then in 1997 I came out here to to be a director I wanted to direct I wanted to be I wanted to direct the next clerks I saw El Mariachi and and Slacker and Clerks I saw Clerks at the Houston Film Festival and I went down and met the guys and we, we went out for a drink and I was like, I want to make that. That's I had $30,000. I can make that movie. I remember this vividly. I saw it and I probably went because I probably read it was low budget and I was really interested in doing that kind of I mean, That's the kind of films I made in college myself or what you would call DIY. I did DIY theater for mm-hmm. five years in Houston. I ran my own theater with a, with a buddy that I grew up with and we, you know, it was all DIY and um, so that that's always been in my blood, I think. And then I saw that movie. They screened it on 16 millimeter, but they only had one projector. So they ever after every reel, they would stop the film and you'd sit there for like 10 minutes and be, and talking to your, you know, whoever's next to you. And then they put the other reel on. And that's it was like an amazing, so incredible. and it was amazing because, because every and time. the reel is like 20 minutes, right? Yeah. yeah. And every time the reel ended, everyone went, oh, and you could just <laughs> feel the crowd loving that movie. And it was like, and, and it was a mistake. They didn't want it to be that way, but it ended up being kind of a fun way to watch that movie. And I just went, wow, this is, I love this movie. And it, it wasn't about the production value. It was, mm-hmm. There was something going on there, the writing or whatever. I mean, it's a mix of like, you know, kind of low budget elements um, that works. And I, and I thought I can do that. I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I, and I, we had done a play that, that we wanted to turn into a movie that we just never did, but it was very local, very specific. It was called the outrageous Mr. Houston at this theater I had. And it was a huge hit for us. It was our very first play. And we like seat of our pants wrote this thing while we were per- rehearsing it. And, 
and and whatever. And so I just thought that's what I wanted to do. And I came out to LA. I was going to be a, a, a no-budget film director when that was just starting to be a thing. And then I was at South by Southwest. I was uh, I was back in Texas, just just visiting South by Southwest, and they announced this thing called Next Wave Films. Mm-hmm. And this gentleman named Peter Broderick was was it was his idea. He'd come up with this idea for a finishing funds company to give finishing funds to films like this, mm-hmm. like Clerks. In fact, uh, Kevin Smith and and Robert Rodriguez were on and 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 Linklater were on the board of advisors for the company. And they announced this company, and IFC was financing it and i'm like that's the company i want to work for that guy because right. that's they're making they're giving finishing funds and movies i want to kind of make and so i literally i found him in the hallway and at the convention center in austin i gave him my resume and i was the first he, i was the first person he hired that's incredible so, man <laughs> yeah um and it was great you know that was that was really an amazing experience i mean six years uh if you ever wanted to know what you know what is it about a especially a no budget or low budget film that that People always ask, like, what are you looking for and all this stuff? And it's like, you know, they think it's a genre or something like that. And it's like, you know, you look at, I probably looked at 2,000, some part of 2,000 films myself. Mm-hmm. We, we, as a company, probably looked at 4,000 films in that time period. You know, get like 40 a month. And so the thing that you end up saying that's that's what's important are you know, things that people don't expect. It's not production values. It's mm-hmm. like uniqueness is the number one thing we always tell people. Um, and then it's like, you know, directing talent, acting talent. It's not these other things. But um, but we got involved with the, our first film was uh, Pi. Sure. But then, And we worked on that film for four months. And then the deal, we had signed like a short form deal. This is Darren Aronofsky's yeah, Pi. Darren Aronofsky's Pi. And, um, and then the deal fell through when they got into Sundance. The investors wanted to take it back. And then we ended up, it became wow. like a struggle. And we, we gave it back to them. And then we did uh, Joe Carnahan's first film. Blood Guts, Bullets, and Octane. Yeah, sure. He's from Sacramento. Oh, yeah. What, yeah. what was his first movie? Blood Guts, Bullets, and Octane. Yeah. Right? No. Yeah. Yeah. Is that that's, that's the order? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Seven thousand dollar feature before we gave it yeah, finishing yeah. funds. And that was also kind of like right when like Pulp Fiction was kind of a thing. So it was like it and felt that like heard it ultimately. Yeah. I mean, it did. It, yeah. Because it, 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 all of a sudden, a bunch of stuff came out that was just like mm-hmm. you know Tarantino like, but it was really. It was really good. I, I, I mean, you could see he was talented. He was a great actor in it too, because he's he's like yeah, the yeah. lead in it. Um, and then we did uh, we did Chris Nolan's first film, Following, which I worked on for like four years, and and um, uh, did Amir Barlev's first film, a documentary called Fighter. That we had we had a film, we had a documentary called Sound and Fury that was nominated for Academy Award. Oh, yeah. That's about, a, is that about deaf people? Co- yeah, cochlear implants. Yeah, so, yeah. I watched that, obviously. Yeah, it's a great, I mean, so we got involved with a lot of really great films and, and great filmmakers. And then um, and then that company shuttered in 2002. Mm-hmm. And I had one of the, not the last films, but one of the, one of the later films I had gotten involved with was a film called Somebody. Mm-hmm. And Somebody was a, before it came to us, was a $3,000 feature shot with a two-man crew like uh, we were talking about earlier two-man crew uh a director and dp on canon xl1s mm-hmm. that was the crew no no sound person no lighting whatever and the the dp was also the editor and was the composer and um it was three people basically then the actress who was in, in you know was really about her story was the other kind of filmmaker involved 100 percent improvised um we looked at it we thought it was terrific it was 80 minutes long and they probably shot 120 hours of footage. And, mm-hmm. and by the time it got to us, it was 80 minutes or 70 minutes. Now we actually add, had them add footage, uh, 10 minutes to it. And then we helped it get into Sundance. Um, it got into dramatic competition in 2001. It had to be the lowest budget film ever to be in dramatic competition. It was the first digital film to be digitally projected at Sundance. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and we sold it to Lot 47, and, and uh, Lot 47 released it theatrically, and then they went out of business, so it was never oh, no. released on video. And this is four years before Mumblecore, before anybody yeah. had said Mumblecore. And it was, you know, classic People, Mumblecore. No movie. one had ever said the word Mumblecore yeah, before. Never. Yeah, and, yeah. and even when they did, they shouldn't have, because it's a silly <laughs> name. But, but, this, you know, but it was a really terrific movie. And so the director of that movie, Henry Burial, we worked together on that. I, I became a producer on that. And then after Next Wave closed... I was working with another gentleman that I met at uh, Next Wave named Ron Judkins. We were going to start a, uh, a company called uh, Antic Pictures, and we were going to do a slate of micro-budget films, like $200,000 films. And um, we were had a business plan. We were running around looking for money. And then Henry, uh, I'd heard that Henry had this feature that was in the Sundance Screenwriters Lab called True Love. And I went to a reading of it, and I thought it was terrific. It, it was just what he does really well. It's very authentic writing great acting, um, the writing that's coming out of the actor. So like he did that in a kind of Mike Lee process. Mm-hmm. It was written, it wasn't improvised, but it was, a, but it was came out of improvisations and then sure, the written sure. script. And Wait, so, can you tell us real quick, what, so what's the Mike Lee process? So, so in somebody, they didn't ever write a word down ever. It was all improvised. If they wrote have something, like a guideline of what the story was, they would have like an idea and they, and they play with it in the editing room for a long time to get, they cut whole big chunks of stuff out and, 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 and somebody, but everything was improvised. So they would, they would know kind of what they were, you know, what the intent of the scene was. And these are actors that like to do it. A lot of they, they all went to Playhouse West. And so Mike Lee idea is that you, you bring people in a room and you, maybe you don't have a story at all. And you start, you know, interviewing, which Henry likes to do, he likes to interview the actors and kind of bring out what, what things have happened in their life that might be interesting for a movie and which is what they did on somebody, and then wait, so he, he doesn't even know what the movie's about. I, when he made True Love, I'm, I mean, I'm, I may be wrong. I'm pretty sure he didn't have an idea of what the movie was. He put together a group of actors that he worked with that he liked that he thought were really talented, and they he would interview them. They would workshop ideas, and then a, a stories would emerge, and then a, he would start to write those those that dialogue down and start to form it into a script. And so he had that script. That script got into the lab. And, um, and then they had like a million or $2 million budget and had producers and, and, um, but they wanted to, to get the million, $2 million or whatever it was. They had to re they were saying, well, we've got to recast the movie. I'm like, well, you can't recast the movie. These people, yeah, this is their they story. Wrote, yeah, they the wrote the, yeah, the yeah. movie since essentially in a sense, in a sense, I say, I should say. Um, and so they said, well, we can't, we're never going to get the money. And they left the movie and he was you know upset about that. And I heard, you know, I saw the reading and he came to me and I said, well, Let's make it for fifty thousand dollars. I just made up a. I literally sure. made up a number that I thought we could. The three of us could put in fifty. We could come up with fifty and put it in. And um, and I'd seen the reading, so I had some sense of it. Um, and I thought, well, this is doable. It wasn't even set in Los Angeles, and we had to rewrite it to to be made on a smaller budget and to be set in Los Angeles. But it was a very ambitious film. It had a huge cast and a lot of locations, and 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 he didn't want to shoot it two man crew like somebody he, he he ran away from that style of filmmaking as soon as he was done he wanted to you know make something more controlled and we had a big crew but my producing partner Ron he's won two Academy Awards he's been nominated five times for sound he's a production sound mixer who does all the Spielberg movies so we had a lot of great relationships and we had a lot of people working for us with their tiny you know day rate and and um and we you know I thought I thought we did I thought the movie True Love was a great movie it just it didn't get into Sundance it was really close um I know talking to Cooper and then it played some festivals and then Henry came up with a new idea for a movie 
um, that when, while we were going to festivals with true love, he pitched to me and I'm like, Oh yeah, I really like that. And we, and we just, we were going to make that for a bigger budget, but we decided let's make that one for, let's just make it. Let's don't, mm-hmm. this, it's going to take a, a million years to get a million dollars. So we kind of rewrote it and made it, you know, ourselves putting, again, putting our own money in and, um, and that's just become kind of our thing. And so, um, pig was the, was that film at, Oh yeah. That's when I met you. That's I when think I, yeah. you had just, uh, finished that or it was just coming we, out at been, festivals or something. Yeah. It, it, it came out earlier that year in 2011 and, um, it premiered in Nashville. And then I saw you at the St. Louis film festival. So we, we played it there, but, um, yeah, I played like f- almost 40 film festivals. It won 10 awards. It's a, it's kind of indie sci-fi. So it had won a lot of the sci-fi awards and, um, and it got picked up, uh, by Kino Lorber, um, and what and, was the concept for that? It's about a guy who wakes up in the middle of the desert, like sand dunes desert, completely alone. He's got a hood on his head and his hands are tied behind his back. He wakes up and he's like, he has no idea how he got there. He doesn't know who he is. He has amnesia, has no idea who he is. And it's a mystery, basically, to try to figure out. The only uh, clue to who he is is a name of, written on a piece of paper in his pocket that says Manny Elder. And he's like, well, is this me or is this somebody that put me here or whatever? And so it's this kind of solve this mystery and it, and it's a, it's a brain teaser kind of a thing. And I can't, I can't tell you the <laughs> secret. Yeah. Um, but, um, but it was, you know, it was a fun movie and, and, um, uh, and then, you know, he had been, Henry had been attached to a film called the house that Jack built, but not the one that's about to come out. Um, that was, uh, written by Joe Vasquez in the mid nineties before he died. This is the um, Penguin, the Homeboys director. And the producers had attached Henry right after somebody was at Sundance. And, um, but they, they were trying to raise millions of dollars to make that film. And they could never get the money. And they saw Pig. And then they said, well, maybe we can come back and make, make it for something much, much, much lower. And so that was a film that I wasn't involved with originally. I was just helping him out. I was a production accountant just saying, hey, if you need me to do that so you can save some money. Because they were trying to get the budget down. And, um, and they were shooting in New York. And it was shot, and it was kind of a more traditional way of shooting because we always shoot over long periods of time. That that one was shot eighteen days, you know. If you don't get it, you don't get it. Kind of shoot with a with a normal size crew, but it was still very low budget. And then when they got into post, they had zero dollars. So I was brought in um, originally just as a post production supervisor and someone to kind of raise money. I raised money on Kickstarter, and then I became a producer and basically kind of because those the producers were more step back kind of producers. They weren't like line producer type mm-hmm. producers. And so, uh, so then I, you know, became a producer on a house that Jack built, which, uh, you know, premiered, uh, LA film festival 2013. And then, um, played a number of festivals, won a number of awards that, that that's on, uh, Netflix. Now it got released, um, through Vega baby. And then, um, and then right after that, we were working on a horror film that he'd been writing for a long time. That was very clever and um, it was one of those things where we had these investors, they were going to give us the money. We were like scouting locations. We, we had, a, you know, we had budgets, we had line producer, the whole thing. And we were like waiting, like I couldn't, there was a trip I was supposed to go and I couldn't go because we were shooting this movie. And then the financing fell through and then it was back up again. And then we were like, okay, okay, it's going to happen. And, and then the financing fell through again. And this was like most of 2014, this was happening to us. And it wasn't a ton of money, but it was money that, you know, it was real money you had to you sure. know, raise. And so... He has two young sons and he's married. His wife works during the day and he, and he works, he does, you know, whatever he does. Um, but he couldn't do a lot of, diff, you know, the normal stuff he does to make a living because we were working on the film. 
And so he started, um, he started driving for Uber at night and, um, you know, and he was doing the, the night shift because he was taking care of his kids during the day. Right. So I'm up normally really late at night and he would call me in the late at night and he would tell me like, Oh my God, you're not gonna believe what this person did or these people did or what they said. And I think it was pretty quickly on that. We decided that that there was a movie in that. And it was clear to me that it was a movie that we could do ourselves, finance ourselves, um, because you know, just the just without even a script, you knew the elements were going to be such that you could you know you could pull this off. And um, and then of course when you wrote the script, you know, then you start to go, oh, okay, well, how are we going to do that, and how are we going to do this? But um, but the but the kind of uh, uh, critical mass of elements, mm-hmm. the car and his and the house where you, you're shooting all the family stuff, the wife and the kids stuff. Um, we we knew we would shoot that at Henry's house, and we knew we would shoot the car stuff at Henry's car, and so. Right. Um, that made up a, a big chunk of it. So, you know, what were some of the more challenging things like financially? So the biggest probably, I mean, some locations or logistically even, right? well, yeah. it's, it's both. I think, um, so we had, he had other locations and some, and when I do a budget, it's like, I mean, you know, I was doing this big, we were talking earlier about these bigger budget things that, that I've worked on, you know, the going rate. I, I usually didn't know what the going rate for locations were. I just knew they were more than I could ever afford. But, but, you know, I've worked on some things in the last year and a half where I know what it costs now to rent, like legitimately rent a house or an office or something. And it's like, right, I don't like know, 10 grand, 10 grand, maybe, you know, maybe 2,500 a day. If you're lucky on something, you know, I mean, you can use Rapple or something and Gigster or something and fine, but you know, but that's what you're, you're paying thousands of dollars a day for anything. Um, and so we have like these two office scenes, two different offices in the movie that um, it was like, okay, well, this is a really important scene. So I'm going to put down $500 because that's a lot of money for me. And I'm going to try to find this office for $500. This is the nut, right? It's like the 500 bucks. And then with this one, not as important, I'll write down $200. And then this one, we just got to get it for free because it's not, it's not so critical, you know? And so it'd be that kind of a thing. Um, We had a lot of different locations like that. Um, but the big thing was we had 50 speaking parts and we're, you know, acting is the most important thing to us. So we're, we're going to be mostly using SAG actors. So that, you know, that's a set rate. You can't get around that. So that's a What's decent that, like hundred bucks a day. It was a hundred dollars when we started shooting and then we <laughs> shot over, over a long period of time. So it bumped up to 125. But the thing that you, you know, you know, is that that's, that's the, that's not what it costs to. Right. Know, that's not including fringes, fringes and you know that's eight hour days so if you work people 12 hours so you know the i think the i like to say the minimum is about 200 dollars when you're when you're if someone works one hour on your movie there that's about 200 dollars uh is the kind of ballpark way to think about how much i, w- I want to ask a quick question because you say uh you you've been shooting over a long period of time describe that to us a little bit is it is it that you're shooting you know like piecemeal like you're picking things up here and there and it's a nights and weekends thing or is it when you say a long period of time what do you mean it's different each time for different reasons you you end up doing this. I mean, I mean, I would prefer just to knock it all out in one in one period. For Driver X, the reason we shot over multiple periods is our lead actor Patrick Fabian, who's on Better Call Saul, was working on the show, and he he was not in town all the time, and he didn't he couldn't tell us when he would be in town. They don't give you a lot of information, sure. and so we shot for five days the house stuff, none of the driving stuff, like the 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 house, the wife and kids. Um, he, he basically plays Henry's part, mm-hmm. except he has two daughters instead of two sons. So he's a guy who's out of work 
he's not a filmmaker. He, he had a record store and he's out of work and he's looking for a job in the record industry. He's never going to get it. He's like a 50 year old guy. He's never going to get it. And so his wife comes to him one day and says, well, the mortgage is due. You need to just go out and get some kind of work. So he starts driving for a fictional company called driver X. So we did the, we did the five days at the house. Very, you know, I had a lot of volunteers that came from my, my class, my no budget film school class that I teach. And I had, I put out a, a note saying I'm looking for interns. You know, want to learn from the, you know, the head of no budget film school, which I've done uh, a couple of times and had some great people working for free. And then I had, I don't know, maybe four or five paid crew members. Um, and um, so we shot that stuff and then he had to go off and do a show and then we were waiting for him to come back. And in the kind of like at the last minute, like I'm going to be back for two weeks. And so then we shot the bulk of the car stuff in that two week period and a few other things. There were a few other uh, location stuff that wasn't in the car. And we he got. was like, he's like a member of the team, right? He's oh. not like a diva actor. That oh you my have God. To... I mean, the best member of the team. I mean, how much a... did you spend on his trailer though? <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that's an easy number. So, so, so yeah, my, I teach this idea that you do not want, you can't make a movie this way with a prima donna. And one of the first things I always do, or Henry and I always do, we we you know we audition people. We we like somebody. Now Patrick was a friend of ours. We didn't have to do that with him. But 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 like with Pig, we had uh, Rudolph Martin was the lead actor in that. He, and and um, we read for him. We didn't know him, and we we said you know between the Henry and I, we're like that's the best actor. Let's we want to cast him. So then we take him out to dinner. and We go. Let me tell you how we're planning to make this movie. Mm-hmm. You know you're you know here's how we want to pay you. Here's we're not going to have any. You know we may shoot over a two year period. How and, do you want to pay them? Maybe what I would say to an actor is I'm going to pay you a flat fee, um, and I want to be able to work you as much as I can if I need to uh, over as long as I need to, and I'm not going to pay you more than that flat fee. So we'll run you through the books, through the SAG books, but there may be days where we go out and just pop off a shot with you because we own the camera, always own the camera with mm-hmm. these movies. Um, and, and what we camera are you using? Different cameras, but I mean, Driver X was the A7S. We can talk about that. Um, but, uh, but, you know, we, we say, look, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna t- we want to take you out and shoot with you and we don't want to make a big deal about it and we don't want it to cost like $500 if we decide to do that. So, so, we, so it's partly that, but it's basically, it's trying to get a sense of, what, why are they doing this film? You know, and often what you find is with these actors is with Rudolph and with Patrick, they are working actors. They work all the time. They get paid. They they don't need the money. They know it's they know it's ultra low budget. They're not going to make a lot of money. Um, they they let their managers know, their reps know. Look, let me. It's fine. Um, and they're and they're doing it because the role is good and because they don't usually get that kind of a part. So right. with Rudolph Martin, they'd rather be a good movie than get paid an extra five hundred or or they, skip the shot. Well, right? they. So Rudolph was always either a hitman or a vampire, mm-hmm. and he didn't get to, he didn't have to do either one of those. And Patrick's always in a suit, playing a, you know some slick guy in a suit. I mean, always, and he's great at that. But this is not that role at all. And mm-hmm. so they're looking to you know try to see, you know show that they can do other things. And so for the, for both those actors, not about the money, and um, and you you have to have somebody that really wants to be there because it's just so hard. And, and if you have a prima donna, and I've worked with prima donnas on some other things, and and doing the kind of stuff we were doing, driving all night where he's driving because there's no process trailer. He's driving the car. And I mean, the things that we had to ask of him, first of all, I never felt like I had to ask him anything because he was just, he was there and he was willing to do it. And, and all the way till, you know, five minutes ago or whatever, when I talked to him on the phone or whatever. I mean, the guy is like 100%, 120% committed to the project and that's what you want. But it's not a foreign sales play. It's not mm-hmm. a genre film. I mean, it's helpful to have name actors and we have several people that are familiar faces. 
Um, but again, and we were very conscious of trying to put people like that in the movie, but knowing we're, you know, we want to work with pe- We want great actors and they're right for the parts and, and, uh, and they know what we're, they know how we're making the movie. Cause it's, it was, you know, it's not the normal way to make a movie. Um, did you have a casting director on this one or no? Yeah. So we, or rather what I'm really asking is, is it just that you had a connection to these people that they said yes, or was there, how, how did you get them? I, so I guess what I'm asking. again, it's it, cause we had 50 speaking parts. They all came from different places. So Patrick was somebody that immediately, you know, we knew before, you know, while we were writing the script, we, we need to find the right actor for this. And, and Henry's like, well, let's get Patrick. And he, he has a small part in, in pig and, and, um, and, and Patrick was like, in fact, it's funny about Patrick is as long as he's been acting for 25 years. Um, and I've seen a lot of the shows and stuff he's been in. I'm like, I don't know. Patrick's not really right for the part. Mm-hmm. And that was the first thing I, I said to Henry. And he's like, no, he's a real actor. He can do it. You know, cause every, again, I'd, he, this guy does not wear a suit, uh, mm-hmm. Leonard in our movie. That's just not the character. And so, you know, but again, you know, I quickly realized that he was great. But, um, but we we brought him in so early that pa- that Henry and Patrick worked on the script together, which is what Henry likes to do. So. Right. But what about the smaller roles? So the smaller yeah. roles, it became a thing where you know, I thought we were going to write roles around actors that we knew we could get, mm-hmm. like all the people we've worked with that we love and whatever. But Henry wrote the parts around real rides. This was mm-hmm. all based on his experience. And so we had to look at the at the at the characters and go, well, maybe is there a part Melissa could play? Melissa mm-hmm. Femira? Like, oh, maybe she could do this part. It's not written for her, but it, it's maybe something she could do. And then you just call Melissa up and you say, Hey Melissa, you know, we got this movie, it's one day, can you come sure, and sure. do it? I'm gonna pump the brakes. Yeah. Did you have a relationship with Melissa? Oh yeah, she worked on her she was the second lead in our in our la- so, in the movie so, before. So that's how you call yeah. her. Yeah. So yeah. on some people. So Melissa, yeah. Desmond, um, Randall Battenkoff, Heather Ankeny, um, Oscar Nunez were people we knew that we just called up. And you're calling them directly. You're not calling. Yeah. Your agent oh God. No. Oh. <laughs> I never call people's agent ever. Sure. I mean, believe me, don't sure. make me talk to those people. I can't. This is it. the stuff our listeners are going to be like. I I love Brooklyn Nine Nine. How do I get Melissa from Aaron in my movie? Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So, so like, so yeah, so that's how we did it. And, and cast she, her in another movie, and, and she was we, in our movie before she got Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah, so yeah. and she was terrific in that right, and House right, of Jack right. built. So. Um, available on Netflix. Um, so, so, but then again, 50 speaking parts. So we, so the wife is the second lead. That's a big part. And we didn't have someone to play that. And we had two casting directors who were casting associates normally. Mm-hmm. Um, what are their names? Vanessa Knight and, and David Seidel. And, and we, uh, and what do they normally cast? So I, you know, I'm not exactly sure I had given some, I think a, a casting director that we'd worked with before who, who was a friend of ours who would work on, who had cast a pig for free. Mm-hmm. She moved and she's like, well, try some of these people. And, I, and she gave us this name. I think it's Sherry Henderson who has this company. Yeah. And I think they do mostly like kid shows and stuff. They cast that stuff. Yeah. And maybe some branded content. from. Oh, okay. there you go. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> exactly what Sherry. Sherry. Sherry's great. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. But Sherry's like, well, listen, I've got these two associates and they would love yeah. to cast a feature. And we're like, okay, you know, and we didn't pay them a lot of money. They got paid considering the amount of work they did. It was very little money. Yeah, Sherry we, has the credit on it too. Yeah. 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 She, yeah. I mean, you know, so, so she gave us these two folks and they were ter- amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they worked their butts off and, and, and so I would say the way we were able to get good people to come in and read for us was a combination of their hustle um, not necessarily their their muscle because they weren't you know like 
big time casting directors, but they but their hustle. And then you know Henry's fifth film, and he's done. He's worked with other actors. You can walk. You can look at it, you know. You can go work. Look at his work. The roles look and the writing is good on the page. I think um, to people. And so we had people coming in that like worked. I mean, they were like, "Wow, you had your own HBO show. What are you doing in here?" I mean, for sure. an ultra low budget film because we weren't paying anybody extra. I mean, there was never. A thing like, well, okay, for you, we'll pay you more. Right. Most of those we got through auditioning. But then there was a, a friend of ours named Val Lorne who, who was leading one of our other films who teaches at Playhouse West. And he had a class of like advanced actors class or something. And Henry cast um, several actors out of that class and workshopped the scenes with him, which he loves doing. Oh, cool. And so there were there was, there's two or three or four different rides that are cast out of their mm-hmm. people like that. And, um, and some really great stuff in the movie. And so, so it, it really came from all over. Um, right. yeah. So it sounds to me like it's a combination of direct connections, like through basically like having made a handful of movies before a handful a fistful, um, a single hand <laughs> and, um, you, the connections that your principals have, right. And then also kind of empowering some, hungrier casting directors to kind of round out the the slots that you didn't have an obvious choice for basically. yeah and, and again that was a lot of slots there was a lot yeah, of sure uh, yeah, 50 speaking of yeah. Yeah. and so there was no attempt to go to like name names like uh john ham type of we name. i think for what we did is like maybe we said for tanya like we might have said to patrick hey and we had patrick attached so that also helped so to so when they're saying we're looking for these actors. Uh, Patrick Fabian is the lead actor in this movie. So that gave us a little bit of credibility. I want to talk a little bit more about uh, your approach to production in general, because I think that like oftentimes on this show and kind of all over the place, anytime you hear an interview, you know, people say like, Oh boy, we didn't have any money or like it was a really all hands on deck situation or whatever. And it's, sometimes people skate by and don't explain explicitly what that means. Right. So you were saying in the car scenes, for instance, right. Of which there, there were plenty. It was, it was you and the director and then your performers. Right. Or so, so tell me about that. Going, if we were to go back, I'm trying to remember all the things, all the thoughts I didn't finish, but one of the thoughts we, I didn't finish that we'd asked, we talked about was like the, what was some of the difficulties of doing the movie on a small budget, Mm -hmm. the driving stuff was a big challenge. And yeah. I had never done car stuff like sure. this. I'd, we'd done some car stuff, but it was during the day, mm-hmm. very little dialogue, very small scenes. You're shooting in the, you know, you're shooting There's in the back seat. a lot of driving. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, or you're, or you just, or you've got someone in the front seat. This is, these are eight page scenes of dialogue, you know, sure. where it has to sound, you know, perfect, obviously. The, and you know, it's kind of the worst because it's a conversation with the person in the driver's seat, which is the worst. Who's not facing them. Who's not facing them to the back seat, yeah. the worst kind of blocking. But you got mirrors. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but still, but imperative. You know it, what I mean? Like, it, it's it, like, and, and, and it's a challenge for a director because sure, you're, sure. you know, you want to do all these great things. And, and you, yeah. know, you know, the, the first thing the producer tells you is, well, you're not getting a process trailer. So skip all that sure. fancy shots right. and stuff. Suction um, yeah. yeah. And so the first mandate from Henry about the driving stuff as well, this, this, you know, we don't want this to look like, Taxi cab confessions. Mm-hmm. It needs to look like a movie. It needs to be sure. cinematic, even though we're making this on a micro budget. Right. It needs like to look no like a GoPros. movie. Yeah, no GoPros. No, no lights that come out of the you know from the from the top mm-hmm. of the thing or come from underneath that don't you know that don't unmotivated there. lighting. Unmotivated lighting. Yeah. No, no wide angle you know GoPro looking things in the corner of the windshield. So, um, so you know shallow depth of field, pull focus, that kind sure. of stuff. If you did, can, you use any GoPros at all ever? Or no. no. Yeah. No. Mm, no. I'm trying to think. There's a shot that we have that's like a 
Like in a montage, maybe that was a GoPro. Even like... I don't even think that was a GoPro. Yeah, okay. yeah. Like on wheels. And believe anything. it or not, no uh, drone shots. Oh. Yeah. We made a conscious decision not to have a drone. And we had a drone. We had a, fr- I had a friend who could do it for you're, us. You're offending Oren here. You're no, no. <laughs> you know, I have a drone. No, no I understand. <laughs> it's a running joke. Okay. It's it is hard to do those at night anyway. Yeah. So, so uh, we met a guy. Um, we, we had... Talked to our, the DP from House of Jack Built, couldn't do it. He lived in New York and he had a friend he went to AFI with named Daniel Lynn, who uh, Henry had worked with on a, uh, from, from that recommendation, had worked with on a music video. And Dan said, Hey, I, you know, he hadn't really, I don't know if he'd done a feature at that point. So he was hungry. I don't, mm-hmm. he, if he had done one, it was one or something, but he right. really wanted to do a feature. And uh, like a lot of guys out here in LA, does a lot of like high, high paying commercial stuff. Sure. Um, and it, and some of that stuff doesn't even tell you much when you look at their reel. You're like, well, this isn't narrative filmmaking. I need to know you can light naturally. And then I really need to know you can do that without any money and still make it look good, which is right. like a really hard task to ask somebody. But he had done a short film of driving, some, two, two nights of like driving stuff. And we went over to his house and we looked at the footage and he showed me like pictures of how he mounted the stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that looks amazing. Like, you know, and, and so we knew he could do the driving stuff and he'd done, he's done a lot of driving stuff. So when we hired him, um, he kind of, you know, we kind of, he, he had kind of created this way of doing it. So in, for us, the first thing was because we knew we were going to be driving is that, uh, if you shoot, with a small enough rig and it doesn't, and you're, and you're mounting the camera to the sides. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't stick out beyond the mirrors, you don't need a police escort. That's what he told me. You can just get a, um, if you want to be legal, you can get a, a, a what's called a grid permit. I'm not sure that that is true. It, maybe it's not. It worked for me. I'll tell you this. I, well, this is what I can tell you about that. That's yeah. it's one of those things where I never actually, yeah, yeah. I, I think, no, you know, I think it is true. I think, I, I think when I talked to the film, I would LA, say part, regardless Double check if you're thinking of doing yeah, that. Well, well, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. I'll tell you. So, so <laughs> that was the that was the line. Uh huh. Anyway, I think it's true because I'm I'm just trying to think of the conversation I might have had. So I think it's true too. I don't know it's true. Right. I guess is what I'm. So, thinking. but here's what I, here's what I know. So that's that was the theory. I'll tell you what I know. So, uh, so we didn't need a hostess tray. Is the idea? Mm-hmm. And, and and he had shot that with the A7S, which was a relatively new camera, but it, you know, but, but people were using it. So this is a tiny mirrorless camera mm-hmm. that great and low light sees in the dark. So that's like good. kind of full frame, still, mirac- still, miraculous, but miraculous better than the human eye actually, and like kind of beats out a lot of it's like an, it's an amazing uh, like, camera, like big, yeah. big, fancy, expensive well, cameras worth shooting fifty times that. You like know? a whole short or film or something on Alexa, and then they'll do night driving shots on the A7S. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, so a friend of mine, uh, Ilya Friedman, owns this place called Hot Rod Camera, and he's a good buddy. And so I bought the camera from him. I bought the his his specific camera cage. Yeah, nice. I bought the. So you uh, bought it used? Smart. No, no, no. No. Oh, oh, you got it from him. No, it was new. No, I mean, I bought it. It was new stuff. I mean, I think yeah. the the I bought a PL adapter that he builds for his cameras. That uh-huh. um, maybe that was used, but I don't remember. I got a really good deal on it, so I don't I don't remember if that one. But but I bought a lot of the gear from him. We bought a. We we used a Odyssey recorder, mm-hmm. um, and the the key the secret to that camera rig was basically you shoot with Zeiss standard speeds, not not um, not super oh, speeds huh. because they're really they're small and they're light and um, and they're not expensive to rent. I found a, a friend a guy I know has a big set of them, never rents them because no one cares about those anymore. And those are those work really well for us. I think the the advice of like getting the 
awesome but like less trendy exactly. gear is always an awesome yeah. idea yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and again and it worked perfectly for us yeah. again small, small, there's small, the same. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah the you want to get a panavision lens but it's like bigger than your yeah. car yeah exactly so that that you know with a map box and stuff not a very big rig and and so he didn't need a hostess tray and so we so our shots are basically they're either in the car mm-hmm. different camera placements in the car handheld um, or they're mounted to the, you know, to the to the sides or side doors or the or different places on the hood. And he had all the rig, he had all the mounting stuff already. Um, and then his his kind of genius, um, besides that, was he had he a friend of his, I think they also went to AFI, had built these lights that um, were basically boxes that had LED strips in them that were uh, that could be tungsten uh, or daylight and you and you had these dmx dimmers that you could control the light the you could bring them up and down and you could also control the color temperature mm-hmm. with these remote dimmers so that stuff was kind of expensive gear i mean for me what i wouldn't be normally doing but we were able to achieve this like a really amazing look and and a whole methodology that worked really well uh, so what we yeah. did is we he would mount these lights or two lights he would mount them to the to the to the hood of the car and they would they would come in at different you know wherever he wanted them to come in and they would look like street lights, but he was controlling them completely. So he'd bring them up and down to mimic street lights, but we, but we didn't, we, we had total control over that. So if wow. we wanted to bring it up for a certain line of dialogue or whatever, we could do that. He could place it exactly where he wanted it. Um, so that was kind of the secret. And we had this gag also in the movie where the, uh, in the, co- the company driver X sends you an, these lit up, these X's that you put in three parts of your car, which actually Uber is doing now three years later. Um, Uber has copied us, but, but they, but these light, these X's light up different colors depending on where you are in the trip. So if, mm-hmm. if you're out, if you don't have anybody in your car, it's green. And then someone contacts you, it, it blinks blue. And then when you pick them, when you're on your way to get them, it's blue solid. And then when you pick them up, it's red. And then it goes back to green. And well, we're like, when he wrote that, Henry wrote that, I was like, we're not doing that. Like, I can't sure. afford to do that. And then Dan's like, no, I, I think I can do it. And he had, a, he had a guy kind of build the lights. And then we used similar light stri- LED strips to, to do that with these DMX dimmers. So we had a lot of this kind of high-tech gear. So we we basically, the driving stuff was these lights mounted to the to the hood. Sometimes the camera mounted to the to the car. We had, the, you know, with running a, a line into the car with the... Um, with the Odyssey, so we could control remote mm-hmm. control the the uh, the camera, and we're shooting 4K with the Odyssey because that we had the first generation, right. we couldn't right. shoot 4K, and we wanted to shoot 4K, so we could we were finishing in two in, in HD, but we wanted to be able to sure, punch you in can and repo stuff. And stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we took advantage of that. Um, and sound, sound. We had sound we had a sound guy who was in the trunk of the Prius in the back of the Prius. When the you say trunk. in the trunk, you mean literally? He was he was little. That's riding. where he rode in the back. Well, it's in that a Prius, back area. so it's like a hatchback. It's oh, like a hatchback. Yeah, yeah. It's not, but he was small. Unfortunately, he was small because it's not a very big area. And it, I don't think it's, I don't think he enjoyed being back there, but he, he did it. Um, so the sound is basically he's mounting mics up in the headliner, hidden away. Um, uh, sometimes they're lobs and sometimes they're a little bit bigger. It depends. I mean, he, you know, we had five people in the car. He might have to string um, mics all over the place, but he was very diligent, really mm-hmm. great. Michael Cooper, he was really terrific sound guy took that very seriously with great sound so so basically we, we had the actors in the car sometimes a camera operator because we had a really small my dp is huge and i had a really small camera operator a guy that had just graduated from college that I, <laughs> it's a longer story but anyway found this guy um with the school of the arts in, in unc who was great and um little guy which was good 
and because this Prius is not <laughs> the, the size of your crew, yeah. like the, yeah. the physical like size of your crew, so important. They're really less hungry. Yeah, and. <laughs> they eat less. Yeah, no, he was great, Donald Monroe. He was terrific. But and he's DP in his own right. Worked with the A7S in this college film that I'd seen. The rest of us are in this minivan mm-hmm. so we are sending it's like a imagine like an fbi surveillance van sure. so there's four of us in the van i'm driving the van uh henry's sitting next to me in the front seat with a with a remote with a, a, a small monitor and we're sending the video to the van remote mm-hmm. uh, through a, a terror deck uh wirelessly and he's got a monitor, so he's monitoring the performances that way. Teradecs aren't cheap either, man. This yeah, but we like... rented these a lot. A lot of the stuff we rented from the first ACs that we were hiring, uh-huh, and they great. gave us a deal. These are all buddies of uh, we. Right. The, the the places where I spend a little bit more money than I normally would. Um, I mean, not if you know what real day rates are for, for the people at this level, but I paid more than I normally would for at first AC, the grip and the, uh, and the gaffer mm-hmm. because they were Dan's buddies. They usually make a ton of money per day and right. he just couldn't get them for less, but it was still way below they, their normal rate. Right. And if they're rolling up with gear, it's a way to like pay them a little bit more. Right. Right? I mean, I did pay, you know, I did you, rent these, these things, um, like a tear deck on the Preston week. Cause yet we also did remote follow focus on okay. every, every yeah, shot yeah. was remote. Uh, yeah, yeah. which I'd never done before. But um, but again, it's their gear and I'm not, you know, sure. and, and the second monitor usually was theirs or something and, right. and, and I'd pay him a little bit for that. So Henry and I in the front seat, back seat is the DP with this remote uh, wireless dimmers and a second monitor back there and the first AC is back there pulling focus. So mm-hmm. we're, we're driving and the, and the sound is sent to us wirelessly and we're plugging it into the auxiliary port of the, of the uh, van. Mm-hmm. And so we're listening to it over the speakers of the van and then we have walkies we're talking back to the, you right. know, to so them. You just on, have an open walkie. And yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. yeah. And so, um, and you have to have an actor like Patrick who not only can act and is really good, but he's totally he's like comfortable. The director in the car. Exactly. He's the one pushing start and stop on the, on the Odyssey. He's doing the slate. Right. He's talking on the, you know, thing. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a lot to ask of an actor. And I totally, totally 1000% get it. Some actors don't want to drive and act at the same time. Yeah. It's tricky because like some people I think are, are really in tune with it. And some people are like, just it's not it's not their bag yeah. but you know what what patrick says about the driving and acting is that it gives you something to do like if you're fake driving that's yeah. like you're thinking about how you're yeah. fake driving this you're like it's actually easier to he felt it was easier to actually drive uh, that's um, and he has yeah. that thing to do it's a real thing it's a real task mm-hmm. to do and so um but the other great thing about an actor like patrick and, and desmond who if you you know is on uh, you're the worst he's been on for like four or five seasons or however many seasons that show these guys they're tv actors they're pros you give mm-hmm. them a, a technical a note yeah yeah and it goes in their technical note bank and they never forget it and they do it and then yet they're still giving you a fresh performance every time they know where the cameras are they know where you know how you're going to be editing it right and but it's, they're always like lifting that coffee mug yeah. at the same time right. in yeah. the right hand their marks yeah. and knowing where the light is and where the yeah. lens is yeah so the driving stuff was you know we shot like that two week this like two week period we still had to come back and do pickups and a little bit of driving stuff um, but that was most of the driving stuff and that and we had so the crew was basically what I described mm-hmm. plus we had a a, a key grip and a gaffer um, who would stay we put them in a parking lot mm-hmm. we kind of mount everything up mount the lights and the and the camera and everything and then we we, we just the van and the Prius would go out and drive around um, and then we'd come back to that parking lot in that whatever part of town we were in and we would re you know reset and then we base camp somewhere like my apartment or Henry's house and there were and this is the trick we had this we had a couple of people at the base camp who were interns the worst 
job in the world. You just hang out at the apartment, wait for new actors that were coming at like, you know, mm-hmm. 10 in the night or whatever uh, for later scenes and sign them in and get them to do their paperwork. And then one of the other uh helpers was making lunch for us sure. at 1130 at night. Right. Um, and it was all um, night shoots for the driving stuff. It was all, we did one, probably two, two different scenes that were dry, that were day driving stuff, but almost all the driving stuff is night stuff. So I think we probably had total like 22 days of shooting, um, stretched out over these periods. We, we, so we shot these office scenes and a couple of different like weekends that we did, you know, later. And we'd been, we'd like edit the film and, we knew we owed this stuff and then we would kind of rewrite some of that stuff. That's mm-hmm. one of the advantages. You're kind of editing it and, and as you go and you're like, let's rewrite that opening scene because I think it's, it'll it'd be better if it's, the, you know, the movie's starting to look like turning into this, you know, so we do that a lot. And um, I saw your editor and edited like Donnie Darko and Tomb Raider. Yeah, he's an interesting, uh, Eric, we've worked with three times and, and in all three cases, Henry does the first cut. He does what, what what he likes to call a sophisticated um, assembly. It's a very mm-hmm. it's a very it's a pretty refined assembly. But most every scene is in there. Every once in a while, there's like a scene that just doesn't make that assembly. It's like just never. It, there's no no chance. Right. But, but he does all of the. He like selects the, the takes. Yeah, he's selecting the takes and then like doing that first pass, it's which a, is a lot of yeah, work. It's a lot of work, and and yeah. and so we don't have the money usually to pay right. Eric to do the whole thing. So we'll he'll do that, and then Eric is he often comes in as the second editor. And when we brought him in for Pig, he was we he he came in, you know we showed we showed all these editors the rough cut, and we're like you know what you know uh, what uh, what do you, what are your notes? What how would you can you make this better? When we were doing Pig, and so um, he's a great editor. And um, so we used him in that same capacity on the House of Jack Built, and then he came in and did mm-hmm. um, Driver X. No, we knew we were going to be using him for Driver X, uh, and um, so he came in, and you know he'll he'll choose different takes, and he'll mm-hmm. you know has his own play, uh, you know take on a on a scene or whatever. And then it was just a really tough movie to get down in the editing room. I mean, it's a lot of like. It's it's a kind of serialistic move. I don't know if that's the right word. You know, there's it's serialized. There's a lot of like you know, you're moving things around, you're cutting things down. I mean, that extra time which we took, I think, made a huge difference. Yeah. In fact, right before we locked, uh, we were um, we were kind of waiting for us for to get into our first film festival, and I was working. I had like forty five effect shots and I had zero money. <laughs> um, and I've actually done a lot of effects stuff since then. Um, but I found two people to help me with effects. I found this guy that had taken my class who did all the overlays. Mm-hmm. And I threw him a little bit of money, but, but I mean, like token amount of money. Um, and then he was going to do the, the this is basically most of the effects shots, not all of them. Most of them were the phone, the phone screen replacement. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, screen replacement, and um, which we didn't know what we were doing, so we didn't have the proper thing on the screen and that kind of stuff. Um, but so he did the overlays and then Patrick was out, uh, at a diner one day and someone came up to him and said, Hey, you're from better call Saul. I love you. And he's like, Oh great. Well, who, who are you? What do, what do you do? And he goes, well, I do effects and I do visual effects. He's like, like really? Oh, oh, oh how much card. do you love yeah. me? So he, yeah, exactly. So he gave him, gave him his card. I called him up and basically he said, I'll do all those. If, if my wife loves him, if he'll, if we can go to dinner with him. I said, okay. And this was a lot of work. This was, mm-hmm. yeah. this was some pretty, some of this stuff was not easy to, um, uh, not easy to, to composite. And then I ended up throwing him some money too, just because he just did so much work. Yeah. It wasn't, again, it wasn't a lot of money, but it was like, let me give you some, a few hundred dollars on me. Um, and Wait, so um, he wanted a double date with Patrick or. So Patrick took him to him and his wife to dinner. 
It was like a new wife, I think, too. So he was <laughs> trying to impress her, I think. Anyway, but, but they, Patrick's super nice, nicest guy in the world. Took him to dinner. Um, and I've used this guy on paying gigs now since as well. He did a big, a lot of work on this uh, web series uh, that I did. Um, he's great. I mean, he has a day job and he has to, you know, he has to find sure. the time. And this, so this took months to do these right, effect shots because right. everybody's that's doing the their other things. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. And so we were, you know, we were waiting to get into a festival and waiting for this, these shots to be done. And then finally we were, you know, we kind of had our first festival. And then right before we locked, uh, Henry said, you know, I want to go back through and just see if there's any like, 10 seconds here and there I can take out the feel just feels like there's too much air or whatever. He cut four minutes out that last rent, which was, which is a like, lot. it's a lot, you know? And so, and it really helps the movie just kind of move, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, it, it, some of it was like, he didn't tell me and I didn't know until we were like in the sound mix. Right. And, and like, I mean like, oh, well, actually that cool. effect shot that I spent so much time on is a rel- It doesn't even make sense anymore. Cause, cause he'd cut something out that it right. re- related to or whatever. But, but it was a really, you know, and there were a couple things that, you know, you're like, Dang, that was a good line. You cut, you cut that line. No, I'm kidding. You know, and um, he just was brutal. And Henry's like a kill your kids, kill yeah. your babies kind of an editor. He doesn't, he doesn't not hold anything sacred. I'm the one that's usually hanging on to stuff. You're like, no, that was so hard. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. exactly. It no, was two in the morning when I shot that because yeah. of that reason, which is not the best reason. And right. and but I mean, I try to say, look, this is this is what our movie is, and we need to keep this and that kind of stuff. And I'm hopefully the I can come in with that kind of bigger, wider perspective mm-hmm. or whatever because that's you know my job. But um, but yeah, so um, and I, yeah, I would say something else, which because I have done post-production supervising so much over the, you know, 20 something years or whatever, even though I'm not, a, I don't really call myself a post-production supervisor, but I try to find workflows that aren't going to be really expensive. And we, mm-hmm. the workflow for this was, was would have worked out really well, which was we basically, you know, edited our camera original in um, Final Cut Pro X, if you can believe it. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. All right. And to, no one yeah. liked that idea huh. except for me, cause it was cheap. <laughs> um, and, um, but it worked and it worked out pretty well. And, um, and so the kind of advantage of doing that is that, you know, all these push-ins, all that stuff, if you can get the effect shots soon enough, you know, you're cutting those in. And we just basically turned over a, a single quick time to my uh, post house. Mm-hmm. And they did a notch conform where they basically, they bring it into Resolve and uh, it cuts it up sure. into shots for yeah. you. And so they're not doing a lot of online. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty smart process too. Yeah, it yeah. works out really well. And I mean, I've done, yeah. did like three shows right around that same time and with different workflows and that I... This is the way to, yeah. to do it. As long as you don't have like a ton of graphics or anything, that's super smart. You know what I love just going back a tiny bit uh, about the post, post thing? Because I think that that oftentimes on a micro budget or on any feature can be a surprisingly significant <clears throat> amount of cash, a, a large portion of your, portion of your budget. Yeah. And so oftentimes the micro budget solution is like have someone on the team do it themselves, basically that typically the director. So I like the combination, the one-two punch of like, do the hard work, do the heavy lifting, do the grunt work that a fancy editor doesn't want to do. And then you still get the benefit of like a second pair of eyes and someone who is, who hasn't been up, you know, till six in the morning for 22 days in a row. And taking care of kids. Right, exactly. Yeah, no, we put money into, I mean, when I do a budget, like the, the initial budget of this film I just kind of made up a couple of numbers. This is how much we're going to spend in post and how much we're going to spend in production. And, and um, Can you give us a ballpark for how much DriveRx costs? Yeah, it's... You... I mean, I don't like to say it, and I'm not sure why I don't like to say it, because it's like I feel like some people are going to hear that number and they're going to think, well, you spent a ton, and some people are going to hear that number and go, well, this movie, it's not a real movie. And so I, don't, I never know which what the... Well, so is I'm, it so ultra-low budget? I'll tell you this. Sag? Yeah, and comfortably 
alter low budget. But basically, I'll, I'll tell you this. We, I went in with this idea before I probably got a script. I went in with the idea that I was going to spend $100,000. Mm-hmm. I was going to spend 50000 to shoot it and 50000 to post it, roughly. Mm-hmm. And I know on the post side, I know there's a certain amount of money I, I'm one to spend. So like I don't ch- chintz out on the sound. Mm-hmm. Like I know what I can get a full production sound package with all the stuff. I know what I can pay for that. And I put that number in my budget right away. Um, and I, and I can make rough estimates on, on some of the other so the effects. I didn't really know what that mm-hmm. was going to cost me. And I ended up spending, like I told you, I threw a little bit of money these people's way, but I, 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 I didn't have any proper effects budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, I knew we, we used the same composer. So I knew I was going to pay her. I knew roughly what I was going to pay, uh, Eric. So, you know, we're paying real people and, and we, I could have done it cheaper. I, mm-hmm. I know we could have, the music was really expensive on this movie, relatively speaking, and I could have done it cheaper, but it, it's, I mean, we're not trying to make it for the lowest amount of money. Um, and Henry doesn't even want to work this way. He doesn't want to work. He doesn't want to work this way since 2001. So if, for me, it's about like, how can I afford it? And if it's a good value, I will throw money at it. So mm-hmm. that's always the way I do it. So we spent a little bit more than that, that hundred we went over, I think it's, like 130. Gotcha. Um, Did you have a makeup and wardrobe department? Uh, so when we started shooting, we were rushing to shoot because we figured there were going to be a thousand Uber movies mm-hmm. and we wanted to be the first or we just didn't want to be buried in this. So we, we rushed in to start shooting. I hadn't raised any money. I had planned to raise, my goal was I was going to raise 120,000 in equity and like 30,000 in Kickstarter mm-hmm. and have $150,000 and make it for less than $150,000 and use the rest of the money to, for marketing and stuff like that. That was my goal. And so, um, but we didn't, I hadn't raised anything when we started shooting. I had a bunch of 0% credit card offers. Mm-hmm. I'm like, these people are crazy. Why are they sending this stuff to me? So <laughs> I start, I shot most of the movie without raising a dollar just on the 0% credit cards. I mean, we all, all, almost all of it. I mean, we still had a few pickup stuff after um, I raised some money, but basically, that's how little it costs. So mm-hmm. you, you ask the makeup. I had the makeup person for the five days at the house, and I, and I barely paid her. She was great too, by the way. Um, and uh, and then I, I think she did maybe one or two more days for me when I needed her. But for the most part, we didn't have a makeup person. I had a, a wardrobe person who'd worked with me on Pig. She was the costume designer, and she got paid a very small flat fee. And then we found an intern who was on set mainly again just for that five days. Um, but they helped with the kind of book and making sure their continuity. And then, and basically Patrick was the one that would look on this, you know, this book to make sure he was wearing the right thing. Once we got away from that, once we started dri- doing the driving stuff. So we didn't, so yeah, there wasn't a makeup and, and wardrobe for most of the movie. And then, um, the book is, uh, like what wardrobe this character wears on each day. Right. Right. And, and, you know, we're pulling from closets mostly. I mean, there's a few things that we had to, she makes stuff. She likes to make stuff and she'll find stuff that's really great. I mean, it's that, it's that nice thing about like, normally I wouldn't have a costume designer on something like this, but she's, she adds that creative element and she's not mm-hmm. expensive and we, she's, she's a great friend and, and, um, and she, add, so there's, this, it's that subtle stuff of like, he's wearing stuff that really makes his character that normally I would say, I just pull from his closet or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's nice to have that person. Um, if you can, if you can get it. So, and I think um, I saw a clip where like a girl is throwing up, right? There's a couple of those. Movie. Is that, uh, I mean, so why else do you, you need, get an Uber though? You need right? doubles for wardrobe and all that stuff for those type of situations. I don't think we, she throws up out of the, out, there was, there were two times where people throw up one. Uh, we didn't have a double, but we, we've managed to figure out a way for her to make it look like she's throwing up on her outfit, but she doesn't. Um, and then the other one's throwing up outside of the car. So that we didn't have any doubles for that. Um, 
Just trying to think. We so a lot of chicken. We soup. did not spend much money on wardrobe. I can tell you. I mean, there was very. I don't think we really bought anything for this one. It's like, is this really important? Does this have to be done right? Then you put the money there. And I mean, is an example of this. Um, so we're shooting at the house, and the original crew. And there's no truck. There's no gear. You know, uh, Dan had some stuff in his garage. And then he had a buddy who, who has a bigger garage that he rents stuff. And he, we'd gotten some stuff from him. And Dan would just show up in his in his station wagon with this gear. With the stuff like lights. Yeah. yeah. With, 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 some, you know, with some Apple boxes and some C-stands and a couple lights and whatever. And it was very little. We didn't, we didn't, I don't, on that part of the shoot, that, that, that five-day shoot, I don't think we rented anything um, that was like lighting gear. We never had a real truck. There was one day where we, we, we were lighting a bigger location. I rented a van and I went and picked up some stuff from, from, from different places and a dolly. Like we had a dolly for that day and stuff, a Dory dolly. Um, uh, so, so an example of kind of how I operate, we were shooting this five days. It's Dan, the DP, a first mm-hmm. AC and one guy, uh, his buddy, you know, who's right. the gaffer or whatever. And, um, and that's working out. We shot a couple of days and he comes, comes up to me and he said, listen, so we're making our day and whatever, but, if you can get me one more guy for the next three days, it's going to make a big difference. We're going to be able to get even more shots and whatever. And I talked to Henry and I'm like, done. I mean, I knew what that amount of money was going to be. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's worth it to me. And that's how I like to operate. I don't like to, cause it's my money. Right. Um, I don't need to worry. I mean, I'm now doing these other shows for other people and you realize you, you can't operate like that. Like it's sure. like, you know, you, you can't spend more than the money they give you or you're kind of screwed or whatever. And I usually, and fortunately I've come like, under, I know I've got a discover card that I haven't opened the envelope. On yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I just, I like to put, again, I like, to, if it's a good value, that's where I like to put yeah. it. So, um, and if I can do it myself, I do it, which is hurt, which hurts sometimes. That's not the right thing to do sometimes. But, and then sometimes you just, you know, that's just, you just end up having to do it because you couldn't find somebody or whatever. So, I mean, I save a lot of money doing it myself, but I also get hurt, you know, mm-hmm. uh, by overdoing it. But, um, uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that. What are the ways in which, like, can, give me, can you give an example of like where you wish you hadn't done it yourself? So I wanted to hire a first AD for the driving stuff, even mm-hmm. though I, it wasn't clear where he was even going to be uh, or she. And I had a guy that I barely paid um, do the house stuff, even though I was scheduling it and I was doing the call sheets and I used this program called Lightspeed. I don't know if you ever heard of it. So no. it's like, an, you know, one of these online production management software where you, you know, you plug everything in and then spit out these like kind of ugly looking call sheets, but you mm-hmm. can spit them out and you can just click the people you're sending it to. I wouldn't have been able to do this movie without Lightspeed. I, I wanted to have a first AD and I was looking for somebody who could work for like a hundred bucks a day and I could not find anybody. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll go up to 200, but I'm, there's no way I'm paying more than 200 for something that I don't even, not even hundred percent sure I mm-hmm. need just make my life a little easier. And I don't need to make my life easier. Right. Henry was like, you need to get a first AD cause you know, and there were some times where because there wasn't somebody cracking the whip and I had like 10 other things I was doing cause I'm, I'm the entire, I'm doing the walkies, I'm doing craft service, doing all the other stuff that we lost a little bit of time. Like, especially when it was lunch, like we Mm -hmm. had to go to lunch and kind of remount and new actors coming in. That's lunch. And then you realize like, Oh, I've got to go do 10 other things, drive and pick up lunch. But so there were some times where I think we didn't get as much done because there wasn't somebody kind of cracking the whip. Um, but, but that adds up. I mean, that would have been a lot of money. And, and once we got the groove of it, uh, this kind of getting in the, you know, we knew the beats of the day on the driving stuff. It was really fun and, and, um, and it worked out really well. So I I don't know. I mean, um, let me ask you a question about this first AD business because Matt and I have had many discussions about 
this idea of like where you can get inexpensive crew. Did you ever think to go to like Craigslist or something like that? <clears throat> yeah, I yeah, I go, go to Craigslist um, often. Um, I think on that one, I was looking at everywhere. I was mostly looking for you know talking to people that I knew that there were like DGA people I knew that had like oh yeah I got this guy or girl who's a PA who you know set right, PA they're right, about right. To, they're getting their days they they know that you know I I, I didn't need they're somebody good. who they was need like a little practice you know, yeah and yeah. and th- well, we're not you know we're talking about a tiny crew and it's not a lot of elements and stuff and so. Um, but you still want someone like on Craigslist, there's still a 50% chance they won't show up, right? Yeah. Well, the rule I have is you interview th- at least three people for each and every job. Mm-hmm. So if you have the time and you can do that, then you can usually feel that out. If they're serious, they're going to show up. Um, and, you know, maybe run down some, some of their recommendations as well. We've, I've gotten, I've found somebody that I was going to hire somebody and actually knew someone's someone on their recommendation. And they told me they were horrible. This is on another movie. I was like, Oh my God, thank God I asked. But, but if you, if you interview people, you can usually feel that out. But I always, I'm almost always finding, you know, if it's the grip and electric and AC, the camera kind of, you usually get that, those people from your DP. I mean, right, they're right. going to, I mean, if they don't, you know, they'll tell you like, I've, I've got two or three deep here or not or whatever. And then you may need to go and find some right, other right. people. But, and I'm, and now that I've been doing some other, when we started that show, I hadn't done production in a while and I didn't have a real list. I mean, I was going out to friends of mine that, that do it all the time and Hey, who do you know? I, and sound is always like impossible to find because sure. I'm never paying anything close to the sound rate. Um, so, and they're I, bringing their own gear and yeah. Yeah. And, and sound again, is always rough. Ron Judkins, you know, it's good to have a friend like that who can hook you up with somebody and he's always hooks me up with a really good sound person. So, you know, but now I've been doing other shows and I've been, you know, and I have a little bit of a list now. I've done, you know, two shows kind of close to each other with big crews and and made some, you know, connect connections and, and saw how people worked. And, and they're making usually more money than I would normally pay, but um, maybe. But, um, but yeah, I know if they want to step up, you know, if they want to move up from something or whatever. So I, I have a little bit better list now than I did when I started shooting Driver X. Um, but, I mean, I the thing is you make... You make it feel like pig and you've got some person who's an intern and they're amazing and they've just like ran your whole art department and they were working for free. And then you, and then two years later when you're ready to make a movie or four years later, sure. they're like in the union and they're, yeah, yeah. they're like they're art director up. now. And you're yeah. like, you can't, you know, you can never go back to them. You can go yeah. back to them and find, see if they have ideas for you, but you can't get yeah. them. You know, so L- let me ask actually something uh, that I think about all the time with indie stuff. And I feel like when I was younger and doing like, I, sometimes maybe you didn't know better. How do you deal with like liability and insurance and that sort of yeah, thing? Yeah, so that, that's a number that I write down that in that hundred thousand dollar budget. Um, there are certain numbers that are that are set, mm-hmm. and for me, I always get the regular production package. It's thirty five hundred to four thousand dollars. I always put that's a number I put in there. I'm not going to go make a movie with all this stuff and not have that. I never pay like production like do, to do like contracts and stuff. I I hired a lawyer to do my. Uh, operating agreement and LLC and that stuff. And I paid, and I found a great guy who I paid not a lot of money to. Um, and that was something I didn't want to do. And I've done it before. Kind of had another, my, like Ron had done it on an earlier movie, legal zoom and stuff, but I don't like, you know, there's just sure. things like lawyers like, but man, like, it's not showing up on the screen. What I, happens if like a intern rolls their ankle? Yeah, no, I mean, that, you know those I mean? things happen. I mean, and, and we actually had some gear stolen and, yeah. but it was kind of our negligence. So it wasn't like the insurance company was going to pay for it anyway. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I try to run a safe set. I, I sure. you know, I'm not, I'm not doing anything illegal there. I mean, I do things like I don't, I hardly ever use filming permits. Mm-hmm. I had this, this grid permit 
which was $710. And then I had not another permit on the movie. Um, And I've gotten busted enough over the years to kind of, and I teach this in my class, like how to kind of do that without getting, you know, what kind of, how to kind of do that without getting busted. I'm always curious. Or when you want to do a permit, sometimes you just, you should. Yeah. 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 I have never, I've been told to like scram sometimes, but like, have you ever gotten busted? Like, have you ever had your gear impounded or anything like that? I mean, the, 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 if someone comes up to you and you don't have a shooting permit, you're incredibly honest and nice. This happened to us on one of the, we were with this incredible, crazy night of shooting. It was one of these nights where we did a mixture of driving and location stuff. And it was just, I mean, I was one of my proudest moments because um, I was first ADing that and it was just brutal. But we kind of like had to hit our marks all through the night, like in all these different locations and stuff. And then we were waiting. We were actually waiting for the sun to come up because we had this last shot that was a sun up shot in Santa Monica. And we're on the, we're on the uh, the Ocean Avenue in Santa Monica with this little group, and and we set up the tripod, we're waiting the lights, and then these cops drive up, and we're like, "Fuck, cops!" You know, and um, the, and it's our last shot of the day, last little scene, and they go, and it was kind of a good cop, bad cop, and the guy goes, "So what are you doing?" Like, "Oh, we're we're making a little movie. Um, it's our last shot. You know, uh, we're just waiting for the sun to come up so we can get the shot." He goes, "Do you have a permit?" And I go, "You know, I don't." And I, I, mean, I said it like I knew I was supposed yeah. to. Have, I'm like, I, I don't. I mean, I, I, I was doing some driving stuff. I have a grid permit. But we just thought it'd be nice to get this shot. And I, I don't. And I, you know, I'm sorry. And um, and one guy was being a dick. And then the other guy's like, all right, take your take your camera off the tripod. You know, which is which I normally would do if I was worried about it. I wasn't even worried. It right. seemed like such a safe right. thing. It was like 6 in the morning. And it was like a Sunday morning or something. And normally I would be hiding and stuff. But it was like, <laughs> I didn't think there was anybody around. And so... He was cool. He's like, you know, just like make it lower, lower key, which was already pretty easy for us to do. And, and so we just, we, he let us do it and we shot it. So, um, but yeah, I, I've never had my stuff. I've been busted in bigger ways with a bigger, with a big crew and Mm -hmm. stuff. And no one's going to take your stuff. If you're an asshole, they'll, they could arrest you and they could do that stuff. But if you're just, you know, nice, I mean, I've not always been honest, but, um, but I've always been incredibly polite. Mm -hmm. I mean, one time I gave a permit for another location, like here's our, yeah, we have a permit here. And they came back the next day and like, no. No, we check that. Out. Um, but um, but uh, anyway, but so there are just certain things that I again. So you're talking about insurance. So there's certain things that I write down that budget. Actors that are you know I I break down the script and how many shooting days I have. I know how many actors I have and and I have to, I plug in the number for for actors. That's a set amount of money. Insurance is a set amount of money. A crew rate is roughly a set amount of money, and then it's up to me to decide how many crew members do I need for this movie or for this, you know. And so I kind of go through and say, well, we don't need a script supervisor. We don't need all these, like, you know. I usually work with a very thin crew, and and then for this one, the the rate bounced up a little bit because I because I was working with people that were had a lot of experience, and I couldn't get them for cheaper. But um, uh, and then and then again, some of it's very aspirational. You're like, I have this list of locations, and I. This one's worth paying this much for. This one's worth, you know, and I just, and hopefully I'll find it. If I have a little bit of money to throw at it, then I, that gives me a better chance. I can go out on Facebook or, you know, ask my right. friends and say, hey, I'm looking for something. I've got a little bit of money. That always helps, you yeah, know. Yeah. So, um, and then, you know, what can I do myself? And um, sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you get boned. And, you know, I got boned a couple of times on the show where you just throw away money for something. And, you know, um, that always happens, uh, even when you have experience. But, um, but yeah, that's kind of, you know, and again, in post I have, I have, there's just things I like to spend money on in post. So, um, well, we should probably start wrapping up, but I still have a few, I feel like important questions. Number one is where's the movie premiering? 
So Driver X, uh, IFC Films, and uh, their their label Sundance Selects is releasing the film in theaters and on demand beginning November 30th. Um, oh, awesome. We are opening in uh, New York on November 30th at the IFC Center, and then we'll do a big, big, you know, kind of first time we you know, LA premiere, cast and crew kind of a thing, opening night in Los Angeles um, on the 30th. And we're opening at the Monica Film Limley Monica Film Center. Oh, we have a lot of special nights planned. I have a no budget film school night. We're going to talk about this kind of stuff with Peter Broderick. Will be guest moderating. We have a better call. I call it the Better Call Saul night. We have a couple of cast members along with Patrick um, for talk back, and we'll have prizes and trivia. Um, we have a. Um, I went to the University of Texas. As I mentioned we um, we have a UT night that we're doing um, with an after party at, at uh, Cabo Cantina afterwards. We have. Uh, we're, I'm trying to put together a rideshare night where, like, if you drive, <laughs> you get in for for half price, and we'll have prizes. And you know, um, I'm not. I, I, I'm, I have so little time to put all this stuff together, but but that one's coming together. Um, so we're trying to do like fun stuff. Um, it's opening in other cities. It's a it's a ten city minimum, and it'll probably be in more than ten cities. But I don't have all the list yet. It's in Albuquerque and Santa Fe the next weekend, the December seventh. Patrick will be there. That's kind of his home away from home at Albuquerque. Yeah. I just saw that we were going to be in Savannah. I don't know much about that one. Um, I'm, I've, I've heard of other cities and I'm trying to get some other places that I have a foothold, but I haven't gotten dates yet. So I, I don't want to say anything. So you're not doing a festival, traditional festival. Premiere. We did a, we went to festivals for a year. Yeah. Oh, oh, we premiered, you... we premiered last year and I played like 15 festivals. So, um, um, and that was, I like playing festivals. And I think it's really valuable to kind of see, you know, who the film is appealing to and why and get, get, I always hand out clipboards and get email addresses at those things. And so I have like, you know, people on my list that I can help, you know, they can help kind of spread the word and that kind of stuff. So and did you sell out of a festival? Sorry. Did you get your distribution deal at a festival? No, no, no. In fact, that, that, um, from the very beginning, we thought we would show the film to AMC because of, because they do better call Saul and see what they think. And if they are excited about it, you know, what would they, what would they, mm-hmm. what would they say? Would they want to throw it over to IFC? Would they want right. to? Because it's all owned by the same. Yeah. It's all, on the, you know, they're, company, and I yeah. worked for IFC a long time ago, so I kind of know that it's not, you know, it's still very separate companies uh, and stuff, but, 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 you know, we showed, eventually they did look at it at AMC and the guy really liked it, the president, and um, he showed it to folks at IFC and they really liked it and they said, yeah, we want to do it and we'll give you the, you know, day and day theatrical and and i you know i went i looked at some other you know, I, I got some other offers but i the ifc thing worked out the best for us and so yeah we're really excited i mean i you know you look at it's kind of a daunting you look at the list of films ifc does a lot of films but you look at their list of films and they're all like they're like really high quality movies and they've made for millions of dollars and they have you know um even if they're smaller like a, a film like blaze i mean i don't know what they made blaze for but it's not a that's not a hundred thousand dollar movie. That's a, that's I'm sure over a million dollar movie. Um, and, um, so it's, you know, I think that kind of instantly gets you into some company that is nice. Um, it's a nice stamp of approval. And, um, and do you think you'll recoup your investment? Are you, uh, you, you don't know that why yet, would you right? Ask me that? Uh, I have no idea. I mean, I, you know, I, we make these movies with the idea that we, we likely won't, but I, this one, I went out and I did raise a little bit of money from. I, I didn't mention this. We, you know, when we started shooting, we didn't have any money. I, I, I put that money in myself. Then I raised forty thousand on Kickstarter and another ten from somebody who wanted to be in the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So essentially fifty thousand on kicks from donations. I don't have to give back. And then I got a little bit of extra money from uh, my mother and my sister and a couple of friends. 
And that money I do want to give back to those people. So, sure. um, so, but at the same time, when it's my money, that's not the first, you know, I mean, I'd love to get my money back, but I make, we make these movies cause we want to make movies and we don't want to sit around. And so I, I really don't know. I mean, but is I, there no idea when you're making like $130,000, you know, a, a <clears throat> film under 250 grand that, like to think that, that, that it's realistic. It's realistic. I mean, because there are, you know, there's, there's a, uh, SVOD kind of output deal in, in there. And, and, and they're um, still foreign, even yeah, if you're there's not foreign, excited um, about it. It's just, I, I really don't know. I mean, I don't know how much they're, they're spending. I mean, I know that they, you know, they spend a lot of money on the trailer, which I think is terrific. And, you know, that's what they do. Distributors spend a lot of money on stuff like that. Um, and, you know, it's gonna, there's going to be some costs. And if you know how deals are structured, which I can't really talk about, but, you know, if you know generally how a distribution deal is structured, it's, it's hard. It's hard. You know, they have to recoup and they, there's a fee and all this like stuff. And, and, um, but, uh, but there is definitely mathematically, certainly there's a way to make money, to make our money back, I think on this. And, um, so yeah, we're, we're hopeful. Um, but you know, I don't do this, you know, I don't do this to get rich. Well, well, I guess that's kind of a good segue to my second question, which is, you know, you hear the story and you've heard it on this podcast many times of like, the person that made the $60,000 film and nothing happened with that. And then they made the $100,000 film and then they got like the TV pilot or the studio deal or whatever, like the multi-million dollar deal. And obviously you've worked on multi-million dollar shows that aren't your own, but you've also been doing the no budget films for like 20 years. Is that kind of the duality of your career for the, for the rest of, of time or don't, yeah don't ask me about the long term of my career because <laughs> that's that's frightening I, you know i mean for a producer you make a successful hundred thousand dollar film big deal i mean no one's gonna hire you can't pay somebody to make a hundred thousand dollars i mean I, I think it's pretty obvious that henry and i did not get paid a salary to make driver x right so if i have a special skill and i like to think i'm pretty good at this particular kind of movie made hundred thousand dollar movies i mean i made a few of them and i they I, I'm very proud of them. They look, they look quote great. I don't really care. That's not the most important thing to me, but, but I feel like I can do that pretty well. And I, and I have a lot of different skills that I don't think I'm good at any of them enough to just do that one thing, but I can kind of do a lot of things. And, but I, I'll never make money doing that because that no, there's no money to pay someone to do that. And if, if you're going to hire me to make a $5 million film while I might have a fee, I don't know how to make a $5 million film. I mean, I know a little bit, I mean, I've learned obviously something, but um, but, but that's about, not my specialty necessarily. I mean, um, but you've had films at South by at Sundance at LA Film Festival. You have a movie with IFC and Sundance. Does your taste and your creative producing ever, like have a value? I I hope. I mean, I you know it's funny because I don't I don't go out and look for projects. I mean, Henry is a steady stream. I the teaching thing has always been able to keep me in the world which I love of micro budget filmmaking. I love, I love it for a lot of reasons we haven't even talked about. And I've been able to, because of the teaching, I've been able to kind of stay in that world and make a little bit of money off the teaching and stuff. Um, but you know, uh, I, you know, I'm getting older and you know, whatever I need to probably be more responsible for myself. But the other part of it is you, you know, the filmmaker. So usually it's the filmmaker that benefits. You make a hundred thousand dollar film as a writer director and it's successful. Then, right. then they hand you the, the director, a bigger gig. Right. And the problem I think with Henry, it's just been a, Henry's incredibly talented 
guy. I mean, he's a great writer. He's a, he's a great director with actors, especially. He made a feature for $3,000 that went to Sunday. Yeah, and it was, and it's good. I mean, no one's seen it. You know, if, you, if, you, if you're a Kickstarter backer you'll, you, and you gave $50, you got the DVD of it. Um, that's the only way anybody can see the movie now. Um, and so uh, the, the, why he doesn't direct TV all day long, I can I have theories. I mean, one of them is, you know, he's 52 years old, 52 you know, I mean, he, he, he could have had it right after Sundance because he was in, still in his late 20s. And and then this like weird series of things happen, you know, where this film, the company goes out of business that does this film. Right. And, and then these producers walk away from this other film. And, you know, what I, you know, it's hard to it's hard to explain how a career goes, but he he just keeps making good movies. And House of Jack built, I thought was was such a great movie as far as the directing went. And, you know, why that didn't turn into a job, a bigger job or, you know, and he, and he works. I mean, it's not like he doesn't do anything, but why that didn't, you know, I, I have to think it's because he's older and they, you know, this industry loves to, to find the next big thing that's 23 years old. That's right out right. of, you know, that gets an ascendance or whatever. And so it, it's just a weird, you know, thing for, you know, the way it works. So, um, yeah been thinking about that a lot lately (laughs) (laughs) and look you know you guys if you if you're making a living doing branded content or something like that like you made that choice you know early on to get in there and then now you're getting like maybe a high i mean i don't know if that's what you're doing but i've done a little branded content myself i was shocked like what they were going to pay me for the work for the quote work i was doing i was like this i'm doing nothing and i was getting paid this huge day rate for like online, you know, this for like Facebook videos. And it was like this insane. And then I realized everybody's doing this. I mean, this is, I'm an old guy. I came in the, that stuff is, you know, if I was younger, maybe I would have started doing that originally and then made features. I started making features right away. And then that stuff happened and I didn't know anything about it. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, I could be making this kind of money doing this, this stuff. Well, it's because more people watch that Facebook video than better call Saul. Exactly. So, so anyway, so, so I think, you know, I think it's 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 almost easier for a younger person to to kind of make their mark in those kind of commercial products and stuff. And Henry made a feature. I mean, he made a short film that played in a lot of festivals and won awards, and then he made this film that got into Sundance, and that's what he does. And so he doesn't he he's never. Uh, I mean, he could be and he should be maybe, but he's never kind of gotten that world of like commercials. And I mean, he's done a lot of acting actually in commercials because he he's a good actor and he has a an agent and he books stuff. You know, just for the money. It's not like I mean, oh, he's a good actor. He's he's booked theatrical stuff as well. Um, but but that's a lot of where he gets his you know gets paid for stuff. Um, but he should be making TV. You know, he should be directing mm-hmm. the kind of shows I see on HBO that I recognize the directors' names and like, well, why? Yeah. So I don't know. It's a weird business. Yeah, Matt, you got anything else? I mean, I, I mean, obviously we could talk I to you like forever. Six <laughs> other episodes worth of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess, uh, how can we find out more about DriverX and yep. and your, your no-budget film school? Also? Yeah, thanks. Sorry. So, yeah, DriverX, um, you can, uh, we're, I'm just re, redoing the website, but it's it's driverxmovie.com and everything, all the places we're screening, all the you know, trailer, everything we're doing is on driverxmovie.com or will be. Um, our social media handles are at driverxmovie for Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, I, I am at, uh, there's no budget film which is the worst, the worst. If you want to know what websites look like in the nineties, <laughs> cause they don't exist anymore. Go, go, go to no budget film which I built in 2005 and it's the same website, but it looked old in 2005. So, <laughs> but I'm working on that when I have time, I'm going to re completely redo the website and, and really get more serious. I haven't taught a class in a while. 
because I've been so busy with in the last two years, but I am going to be really getting back and I'm going to do, I'm putting together a whole day class on driver X where I cover all the, a lot of the stuff that we've talked about, but in depth with slides and exact numbers. And, you know, if you want to know what we spend on why on something, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be publishing all that stuff on, you know, in this class that I do. So I'm going to really get serious about that um, come, you know, next year. Um, and I'll probably, I'm going to probably be doing some lecturing at film schools while I'm going around the country with the film um, as well. Um, and then I have a website. It's my name, which, you know, maybe in the, in the show notes or something, markstoloroff.com, uh, another way to find me. So, yes, and at Stoloroff. We so. will have it, yeah, all of those links in the show notes for cool. sure. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, before we do our final sign-off stuff, uh, should we jump into unpaid endorsements? Unpaid endorsements. Oren, you got anything? I have one thing. It's going to seem like a paid endorsement, but I swear <laughs> it is not. I just... um. I have this friend, Josh Genowitz. He has this company called filmfarm.com. And uh, he he does a ton of stuff. He's a director, filmmaker, writer. He's very talented. But the reason I'm bringing him up is he owns an Alexa Mini. He has like two Ingenue Optimo zoom lenses. He has like Jokers, like two Jokers, the 800 watt like HMI lights. He has like a bunch of other lights and equipment and everything. And it is just... Sitting, sitting at we use house. those yeah. jokers the jokers are just like yeah they're amazing the they're so system. expensive to buy yeah. but um they're very versatile yeah if you want a natural looking it's a, light, the thing, light to have yeah yeah so his gear is on uh it's on share grid, share grid or kit yeah. split or whatever one of those things probably but, both but like if you are wanting to make like a short film or a commercial spec commercial or something and you're like oh i could never afford like an alexa with nice zooms and like a few nice lights and stuff like you totally can like if you um you know I, like i think on kit split or whatever the whole camera package is like a thousand dollars i'm sure he would give you a better deal mm-hmm. um if you are interested in it at all or want to drop my name or our name or just shoot it pod or you feel free to email us uh at just shoot a pod i we don't get paid at all this i know that seems like an have endorsement. you talked to him about this are yeah like, no oh, i was man. just in his garage the other day and i was like dude you have like amazing equipment. He's like, yeah, I wish it was working. I wish it was doing something. It's like, I just put on kit split whatever. And I was like, well, like I'm sure I, our listeners, I mean, you could probably get an amazing deal at like any camera house as well, you know? But I think sometimes when the you're mini is expensive, that's yeah, a really expensive camera to rent. So. But when you're first here in LA, you're like, Oh, I could never afford this. Like the same camera that they shoot like every TV show with. But you you totally can't like for a few hundred dollars you can. If get you're making this a short film and you're yeah. just going to shoot over a weekend, you know those the weekend rate on like share grid for that stuff isn't you know crazy. Yeah, so. but and, I think and what you can get an A7S2 for on share grid is ridiculous. Like it's like oh. What's interesting about him is all the D, you know he's been in Hollywood the same amount of time that we've been you know like at least like ten fifteen years or whatever, and so all the DPs he like came up with when he was like really into buying equipment. They would all use his equipment, but now all his friends that are DPs just go to Panavision, you know, right. every single shoot because they want, it doesn't matter what the budget is, they want to like kind of improve their relationship with these big camera yeah, houses. Yeah, yeah. So he has all this gear that's amazing, but he doesn't have like those young kind of hungry DP friends right. that are like using it. So right. anyway, oh, I, but him or the whole kit split share grid thing is like this amazing thing I have yet to really dive into, but is an exciting way to to see equipment work get some gear yeah yeah um you got anything matt um yes i do i have a podcast called the turnaround which is a 
especially interesting uh, to Oren and I, but I think other listeners will like it as well. It's uh, by Jesse Thorne, who does um, Bullseye, uh, which is an NPR show, but it's him interviewing uh, famous interviewers. So I came across it actually um, because I've been on an Errol Morris kick for the last three years uh, and like just was like, oh, I bet he's been interviewed on some podcasts. I have some time to kill and found that and like the, he's he did Dick Cavett. He did all these awesome mm. uh, famous interviewers. So it's like a really um, great conversation. He himself is a great interviewer having done it for a long time. But like to understand what it is that people are looking for when they're talking to interesting people is fascinating did you glean any tips i've heard errol morris talk about like interviewing there was a couple there's a couple lessons i've they're stuck in my head i'm they're like errol morris like one of them these are famous ones like where you know you don't you you don't talk and you let when they're done talking you just sit there and wait and then they they get uncomfortable and they start talking and then the next thing they say is always the interesting thing. He's a good one. Yeah, Yeah, he calls that the shut the fuck up rule. (laughs) Don't don't interrupt the people and yeah Yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, we should learn that, Warren. Well, you don't need it with me because I just talk. You don't. I don't need you to. <laughs> just talk. Yeah, I'm um, gonna. We're gonna go now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm a. I'm a talker. That's my thing. Um, well, if I can, you know, I told you I didn't really have one in mind, but you mentioned some stuff, and you mentioned some things. So, I worked on a uh, podcast mm. for Shutter as a as a. If you can believe it, I was a post production supervisor on a podcast, which I didn't even know you could do. But I, uh, a friend of mine, produced it, and he had to go out of town, and he's like, "Come in and do this." And and um, it's called Video Palace. It's a fiction, you know, a mm. creepy kind of fiction podcast. First time Shutter's ever done that. And it's, it's really great people. It's getting really good reviews out there. We're, we're, the, the, if you're on Shutter, you can watch, you can listen to the whole thing at once, but there, I think we're on episode six or seven out of 10 now on iTunes. So if you're on iTunes, you know, look for it, uh, video palace. If you like that kind of thing, it's, um, it's really fun. Um, and, um, and then I would just say, you know, I, I threw out some of these names already, but you know, when I think about driver X is like, there were just things that worked for me, like light, light speed, um, that program worked for me. Uh, the Sony a7S really worked for me. Hot rod camera. Can't say enough great things about hot rod camera in terms of just support. And, and, um, I mean, you know, you, I didn't spend any more money to buy that stuff from them. If, if I'd bought it at B and H, um, mm-hmm. and I got all this great like advice and mm-hmm. when we needed something, if something broke or whatever, we could get, you know, help, they could help us. And so they were great. And Final Cut Pro X, I, I'm using it now. <laughs> I've learned how to use it and it's that easy to learn. And I like Final Cut Pro. I can't even, I watch my post house. Oh, my post house. Uh, I'll give you two post houses that, cause I've been using them a lot lately on these other shows I've been doing. And they're just so great. Uh, Different by design, been using them forever. Love them. Matt, terrific. Matt Radecki, he comes in often and speaks in my class. Yeah, I know Matt. Um, I mean, if you Did know. He made Marwin, make Marwin call? He was a producer on Marwin call, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and um, they're, yeah, they're looking forward to that feature coming out. Um, and, um, but they're just, they're just great. Um, and uh, they do, they're busy over there. Oof, they're, getting, they, they're always busy, but, um, but they're great. And um, the Luke who, who colored my movie, colored tangerine and you know we worked out a way for them to make that less expensive and and, and um you know it's mostly unsupervised and that kind of thing um and then i worked with a post house a sound house called anarchy done two shows with them now and they're dan over there love them um they're great uh so yeah that might be my, my cool perfect well if you want to tell us what you think about our endorsements about our interview with 
Mark. Uh, if you have any comments or questions for us, please email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on all social media at justshootitpod. I'm on Twitter as at Smitey Pileg. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow. This episode was edited by Jay McCullough. Our producer is Madeline Rosewatt. And our webmaster is Ewan Williams. The music you are listening to right now is by the artist Jazar and was provided by the Free Music Archive. Leave us an iTunes review if you can, and we will catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.